Hey everybody, this is Alex and Reagan. Welcome back to another episode of The Oregon Bridge. My goal is to flip Oregon, period. That was the reason this year I met with President Trump and personally talked to him about coming to Oregon, targeting Oregon, help us to flip Oregon 2024. As uh, America first president, he should think about how to fight for all Americans, regardless of uh, blue state, red state, swing states. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode. Today, we are really excited to bring you Republican, Oregon Republican National Committeeman Solomon Yu. Solomon Yu, crazy background story, talked about growing up in China. He was detained during Mao's Cultural Revolution, which was essentially, I mean, you can find tons of information about it online, but it, I mean, he was essentially tortured by the Chinese Communist Party. He was able to escape both with family connections as well as with connections to the Methodist Church. And he tells that story about his upbringing, which is really powerful and really enduring and fascinating. He's a really well-known player in the Oregon political scene. He's held a number of different positions in the state party, and he is denoted as also one of the most conservative members at the Republican National Committee, which is essentially the governing body of the Republican National Committee, which of course is the primary vehicle for the party. So yeah, we talk a lot about politics in this episode, talk about Solomon's take both on state of the race for 2024, what's going on with the Oregon GOP, and then you know some other different topics as well. But Reagan, what'd you think about the episode? I think that I kind of felt like I was deep inside the Oregon Republican Party apparatus and the RNC. I mean, I just, I've never been, you know, super, super important in Oregon Republican politics, but Solomon has been up there for a long time. And I just felt like we had the inside track in terms of like learning what's going on and getting some great stories from the past as well. Some of this like party history stuff that really doesn't get recorded. And so it kind of just gets lost to time, honestly. And so it was really great to kind of hear some of those things. And, you know, we get a pretty big peak, honestly, inside 2024, both in Oregon and then at the national level, too. So I thought it was super interesting. And I would encourage my Democratic friends to just kind of, you know, learn a little bit about the Republican Party, get some information and understand kind of, you know, what this is a very Republican centric episode, but I think you can learn a lot from it, even if you don't agree with the Republican Party or Donald Trump or the positions that they held. Yeah, no, I definitely think it's quite interesting for, you know, Democratic viewers who, listeners who I know, I know are always really interested in a lot of our Republican guests, just because, you know, Oregon, pretty dominated by Democrats, love to kind of hear, learn a little bit more about the other side. But yeah, really excited for the episode. We'll just go ahead and dive right in. Thanks, everybody. Now that the legislative session is over, it's time for Oregon's activists, candidates, and political committees to turn their attention to the 2024 elections. With government regulation of political activities becoming more complicated nearly every year, and with political actors increasingly initiating complaints and litigation to achieve political goals, having experienced legal counsel has become critical to success in the political arena. Harang Long PC has represented clients involved in candidate and ballot measure elections for decades. To learn more about Harang Long's political law practice, 
check out our website at harangue.com. That's www.harrang.com. All right, everybody, this is Alex. Welcome back to another episode of the Oregon Bridge. Today, we are very excited to have Oregon's Republican National Committee man, Solomon Yu, with us. Solomon, how's it going? Wonderful. And I'm so happy to be with you today. Great. And uh, where are you coming at us? I, I know you're at your house right now. Where are you currently located? Salem, Oregon, out of my home office. Okay. Very nice. I would have just sent Reagan over to your house or vice versa. We <laughs> you're in your home office, but very good. But Solomon, you have a, a really interesting background. Definitely want to talk more about your position with the RNC, about Oregon politics, the GOP side of things, the 2024 presidential primary. But you have a really interesting background story. I know that you're an immigrant from China. I believe that your family had come over here during the Cultural Revolution. Tell us a little bit just about your upbringing. You know, were you old enough to remember still time in China, or were you a young child when your family had escaped? Give us a little bit of background kind of on, on that piece of your life, and then also how you made it over to Oregon. Certainly. I was born in communist China, and because of my grandfather, the day I was born, I earned three labels. He was a capitalist on a tailor shop in Hong Kong. So I was offspring a capitalist hick. And he was elder of Shanghai Methodist Church. Now mm. in communism, they consider religion is opium for the masses. So Officially, they label me as offspring of a spiritual opium pusher. That's my grandfather. And the last one was even worse. My late grandfather, Jiang Yu, worked for a British concession. After opium's war, Shanghai was divided into several foreign concessions. He was responsible for Chinese cops as deputy commissioner. So that means he worked for a foreign power. Then communist government consider him as enemy of the state. Then I was offspring of enemy of the state. So with that kind of background and our house was searched during Mao's cultural revolution. And also I couldn't keep my mouth shut. So I was sent to countryside to be re-educated by farmers. You were actually sent to a re-education camp yourself. That's correct. And because oh, wow. okay. the story go like this, and all the kids from bad families, bad families, okay, and got to criticize your parents, your grandparents, in my case, criticize my grandpa. And But I actually took the opportunity without knowing what capitalism really was that time and defended capitalism. So I used my logic and arguing that for my grandfather to stay in business and uh, have repeat clients, he had to satisfy the needs of his uh, people, his clients. And without that, he would not have repeat business and he would not be able to support I think he got 12 tailors working for him and 12 family working families. And if satisfy the need of the people, 
and support workers and their families, why this is evil. So that question got me to write self-criticism for the next three days. And then next thing was, it's time to criticize capitalism, overproduce, and artificially to keep the price down. They use milk as an example. They dump the milk in the ocean of capitalists. And so poor people would not have any milk. So I challenged the authority again. I raised my hand and said, you know, on my way to school, I saw a line five blocks long for milk. If socialism, communism is superior, would you say we should produce more milk than the capitalists? That question earned me to be re-educated by farmers. Now, actually is a humiliation what they did to me was that I was forced to use my bare hands to spread fresh caught dunk in the rice paddy. And so, but I, I was lucky I escaped three days later. So this kind of ongoing situation and um, my dead parents were told if by Chinese government, if you guys couldn't keep your son mouth shut, we couldn't make him disappear in the night and you would pay for the bullet. Wow. It really scared my parents. So my dad called my late grandfather, Zhang Yu. Guess what? He escaped after 1949 communist liberation and went to Hong Kong, opened his tailor shop again, got involved with Hong Kong Methodist Church. So that year, and the grandfather was attending 1980 summer. Grandfather was attending World Methodist Church conference in Hawaii and ran into his friend, Dr. Glenn Ords, a Democrat, a liberal, but he was president of Alaska Pacific University, formerly Alaska Methodist University. So my grandfather basically told him his grandkid is in trouble and couldn't keep his mouth shut. And one day, he is going to disappear in the night. And Dr. Ault said, don't worry, I get him a scholarship to study at uh, Alaska Pacific University. And he would write to U.S. Consular, Consul General in Shanghai to get me a student visa because he was U.S. Ambassador to UNICEF under President Kennedy. So my Methodist connection, my Democrat connection paid off. Within three months, I got my Chinese passport, got my US student visa, and got my scholarship, came to America. Landed in Anchorage, Alaska on October 23rd, 1980. That was my Freedom Day. And wow. I only knew thank you and Coca-Cola. So from that point on, <laughs> I attended uh, English Language Institute and studied from ABCD all the way to my master's degree in international trade. Wow. So okay. And one, do you think that, because I know, I mean, at least from today, the Chinese Communist Party has taken a substantially tighter grip on Hong Kong, but I do know that Hong Kong used to at least have 
more flexibility, self-governance back in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s. Was that really the reason you were able to get the visa and escape, you think, because you were in Hong Kong? If you were located in mainland China, do you think that you would not have been able to escape then? The reason I escaped because I got a visa and uh, that time no airline flights. I took the train for 24 hours from Shanghai to Guangzhou. Then uh, oh, wow. get off the train and carry my suitcase, cross the bridge. I turn around and show my middle finger and go through uh, Hong Kong immigration. And my grandpa was on the other side waiting for me. And uh, then he flew me from Hong Kong to Anchorage, Alaska. So that's how okay. I came out. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. And then, so you get to the US, you get to Alaska, go around, get your master's degree. How did you eventually end up in Oregon? Oregon was a story of, uh, I got married in Anchorage, Alaska to a Greek immigrant who was a physician. And she got an offer to come to Salem, Oregon to buy a medical clinic. And two of us came here and realized Salem, Oregon, you don't have to buy anybody's clinic because you got lots of retirees, they begging doctors, take them on as new patients. So my MBA paid off. I said, you know, you don't have to. I said to my late wife, Dr. Yu, I said, you know, I can help you open the clinic, put your single on and across the street from the clinic you want to buy, and you can be in business immediately. I can help you to run your clinic as your office manager. That's what I did in addition to my medical glove manufacturing, importing, wholesaling business. Well, that is really an incredible story. And thank you for sharing that with us, Solomon. I think it's, unfortunately, it's just a little bit too rare to hear these stories. And so I think it's super important that they get shared. And so hopefully our listeners are able to learn about it and come to understanding just how really troublesome and dangerous and just outright controlling the communist regime is in China. Yes, absolutely. And they are here as well. That's the thing we have to be concerned of. So I want to pivot now into your you know, years as, well, first, how did you get started in Republican politics? And then we'll kind of talk specifically about the RNC and how you got involved there. But what got you started in Republican politics? What got me started in Republican politics, because two people I was working for, Alaska World Trade Corporation, they're the one applied my green car for me under third preference expert in the field. And the US Department of Labor gave me a title, international trade specialist, no, economist actually. And John Daly was, campaign chairman for then U.S. Senator Frank Murkowski. And Richard Lyon was a commissioner for Alaska Government Commerce Department. He is another Republican. That's how they got me exposed to Republican Party politics immediately. However, if you remember, I came to this country in 1980, October. That was presidential election year. I didn't speak any language. However, I knew that the candidate I want to support was Ronald Reagan. The reason was very simple. 
Chinese communist government already endorsed Jimmy Carter. So guys like me naturally would support Jimmy Carter's opposition or communist opposition, right? And so I wanted to learn more about Reagan's platform through an interpreter because I didn't speak any language. The minute he told me Reagan stand for bring down the evil empire and do away, defeat USSR. I said, that is my man. Which party he belonged to? Republican Party. Then I told the, the interpreter, Republican Party is my home party. So Republican Party become my political home. And ever since, you know, as a student, I was uh, a volunteer working for Republican Party in Anchorage, Alaska. But Anchorage, Alaska politics is more clear. Conservatives behave like conservatives. Republicans behave like Republicans. And Democrats behave like Democrats. And when my late wife and I moved to Salem, Oregon, I said, oh, my God. I saw the Republicans behave in Oregon. I thought what we were in the wrong state. And so first thing I did was I reached out to Paul Condi, Republican Party Chairman Ron Fenster. Actually, I believe Reagan, your dad, Tim Knopf, was uh, Condi Chairman as well, Deschutes. And so that time, you know, Clinton's was pushing Hillary Care from physician perspective, from freedom perspective, that is socialism. And so I talked to Ron Fenster and he said, you know, I want you to organize healthcare reform against Hillary Care and name me as a chairman. Then he went to state party and Condi by Condi, two of us organized and recruit people to join. That's how I got exposed to Oregon Republican Party politics. Then I got elected as a vice chair of Polk County, then chair of Polk County, then national committee man. So what came first for you? Was it Republicans overseas or was it RNC committee man? Because those are the two main things I think most people know you for. Right. RNC committee man in 2000, then 2014, Republicans abroad closed their shop after Romney lost the election. And mm -hmm. during that time, I actually was representing RNC and Chairman Reince Priebus to attend Republicans abroad meetings in London, in France, in Paris, all those places. And I realized we had a little problem there and they treat Republicans abroad organization as a country club. They get together once a month for dinner or for lunch and talk about what's in the news, what's hot and what is cool, you know, things like that. And they don't focus on voter registration, get out of vote, and they don't even focus on 9 million overseas Americans got double taxed by U.S. government because they have to pay. Let's say you work in London, you pay London, Queen's tax as well, Uncle Sam's tax. And so they've been treated as uh, second-class citizens. 
And so the Republicans abroad closed the shop and those chapter, country chapter leaders reached out to me and asked me and several RNC members, would you guys consider start a Republicans overseas? They said, yes, we would, but we will totally shift the focus from issue representation, i.e. ending double taxation for you guys to voter registration and get out the vote. Now, 2020, actually, we got a, one chapter out of uh, Greece. Republicans overseas Greece delivered 20,000 votes to Florida alone, just Florida, because lots of Greek Americans, they came to Florida doing sponge diving business and then retired. They take their pension and social security checks, move back to Greece. And so, you know, because they, uh, their connection still got a connection back in Florida, and which was very important to them to vote in Florida. And that's how we deliver Trump's victory in Florida. So that helps. That's fantastic. So now I want to talk about your kind of main role, which is RNC committeeman. What you said you got elected in 2000. What's kind of your day-to-day look like? And has it been different or has it evolved or has it kind of stayed the same? Actually, from a RNC committee man representing Oregon perspective, I always have three objectives. First, regarding ORP, my goal is to flip Oregon, period. So find a way to build the state party and looking for opportunity to flip Oregon. That was the reason this year I met with President Trump and personally talked to him about coming to Oregon, targeting Oregon, help us to flip Oregon 2024. And the reason is very, very simple. Chris Barreto moved to Idaho and Jeff Reno moved to Florida. You can't have more conservatives move out of state and we got to stop hemorrhaging. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to flip Oregon because we just don't have the numbers. And then on top of it, we have to deal with voter apathy. And you probably wouldn't know better than I do. You heard this kind of talking, and uh, you know, Oregon is a vote by mail state, and whatever you do doesn't make any difference. That's wrong. If you think about it, if we had a little over, let's say, of 4,000 votes and last cycle, uh, 2022, and we could have taken the House six seats, as little as, you know, 200 votes, as little as 200 votes, as many as um, 900 votes, we can cover six seats. And so that's something, you know, I told the president, you know, we can do it. But we need a leadership, we need a vision. And as uh, America first president, he should think about how to fight for all Americans, regardless of blue state, red state, swing states. So I got a yes on the spot. He said, let's do it. That's great. So what does that mean for Oregon then having President Trump have that kind of focus. Are there any specifics that come with that or is it details that they'll have to work out as the campaign unfolds? For one thing, it's more like building one step at a time. 
I know what his campaign is asking for. His campaign is asking for winner takes all, do mm. a bylaws amendment within ORP. And also his campaign wanted ORP to fill out a rally request form. And so, you know, just make it official request. And also my next step is working with campaign to set up campaign infrastructure early, way early. Usually they set up uh, infrastructure 2024, which is presidential election year. But you really? want to, but yeah, much earlier, like this year, right? So I'm working on that goal at this point. So that's, that's the great. portion of the state. Also, I share with President Trump that we have a golden opportunity to turn out our voters. And I used Oregon constitutional carry ballot measure as example. And I remind everybody, including his campaign members and campaign teams, and during Bush 43 re-election, and Carl Rowe went to state party after state party, asking state party to put a ballot measure on the ballot. Marriage is between man and woman to mm. turn out evangelical voters. It worked, 43 got a re-elected. And so we have a constitutional carry ballot measure and is ready to get a signatures. And as a matter of fact, I said, you know, this ballot measure really cut across political spectrum. Democrats can support that. Mm. Independents, non-affiliated Republicans, they all can support that. So with that in mind, it will be very, very helpful to his goal winning Oregon, to our goal help us to flip Oregon. And so as a matter of fact, on July 29th, Carrie Lake is coming in to do a fundraising event for Oregon constitutional carry. So things are happening for the purpose of flip Oregon. Now that's for Oregon side. Nationally, I have two responsibility because Republican National Committee is a presidential committee and responsible for electing a Republican president. After Republican president elected, you support Republican president's policy, support the White House. And that's the only job nationally speaking. But at the same time, I have one more portfolio, which is on the policy side. On the policy side, I usually offer and pass RNC resolutions in support of president's policy, current policy, or presidential future policy. Good example was 2020. And no, 2021, I passed a RNC resolution to hold CCP China accountable for Wuhan virus biotech. And that policy now is part of presidential campaign platform. If you hear Trump talking about three things he wants to do to China, when he is take away their favorite trade status, favor nation trade, uh, favor nation trade status, uh, as well as uh, hold them accountable for Wuhan virus by attack and with uh, reparations. 
and also want to make sure that they no longer steal our intellectual properties. And so all that now is become a campaign policies or campaign positions. So that's what I do. That makes sense to me. And I think that it's kind of a unique role. We only have two, right? We've got three, we have three votes. The Oregon Republican Party does at the RNC. It's the chairman and then the two, the committee man and the committee woman, right? That's correct. So, and you've been, since you've been doing it since 2000, I mean, you've got a lot of experience and one of the big points where the RNC became nationally noticed was the battle for the 2016 nomination. And there was, I believe you were on the rules committee, it sounds like, and there was a, a, you know, talk of a rule change at the convention or prior to the convention. Do you remember that? And could you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think that story is kind of super fascinating. Certainly. And uh, from that story, actually, I fought and defended Trump's nomination twice. Hmm. When Reins came to me and talked about we need to parachute a different candidate to be the nominee, i.e. Paul Ryan. And my initial reaction was, no, you can't do that. The reason is I am a constitutionalist. The rule of law is very, very important because it, it, it is one of the cornerstones of this republic. And uh, Trump accumulated enough delegates to win the nomination by fighting, okay, primary after primary and per our RNC standing rules. Now suddenly, guess what? We're going to parachute a white knight. That's the term they're using. Mm. And to save the White House fight because establishment didn't think Trump can win the election, defeat Hillary from that perspective. I thought that was so wrong. And so I said, you know, I'm not going to be part of that. And what are you going to do? They're going to use the House rule. House rule, the Speaker of the House then was Paul Ryan, and Mm. he can use the House rule. House rule, only five people in the nation really know what's in it. But I can tell you one thing, House rule give presiding officer absolute power. It means when he decides to do something, nobody, the body and delegates to RNC National Convention, they didn't have to vote on it. So to deal with that scenario, I introduced Robert's rule of order. At least the delegates, 50 plus one, a simple majority delegates must vote when somebody wants to introduce a new candidate Hmm. And based on that, we fought real hard and the articles were written and during RNC Standing Rules Committee to pass my amendment. And we have 72 reporters there, 14 cameras there. And by end of day, actually, I was a lonely voice and they vote me down. But General Counsel, John Ryder former general counsel and who passed away, John Ryder, and made an announcement. RNC will also allow RNC standing rules to be used for the nomination process and to govern the convention. Now, he also explained RNC standing rules required two-thirds of the majority to do mm-hmm. anything at a convention. 
So from that perspective, I went big because now I don't have to use Roberts when a simple majority and you got an RNC two third, a rule to, to protect Trump's nomination. So that fight was just over when a Colorado delegate for Ted Cruz start a movement vote for your conscience card. And basically ask all delegates to national convention abandon or violate our state law in Oregon. Mm -hmm. State law says if you are delegate for Trump, you have to vote for Trump twice. Same thing, if you're delegate for Ted Cruz, you have to vote for Ted Cruz twice, then you can become a free agent. Mm -hmm. So the movement vote your conscience movement I ask all of us abandon our you know state law and vote for the candidate we like to vote. So that's total violate you know the RNC rule to begin with, and also violate our state law. And we would our delegates would have problems. So what I did was I introduced another rule amendment. Anything past the convention as a rule will not take effect until the convention is over. Mm. That's how we defeated uh, vote your conscience. So I fall for Trump twice in 2016. Hmm. Wow, that's no, that... I mean that was a a pretty nationally reported story, as you noted. So I think that that was you know important to share. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for that insight. And then Solomon, do want to shift the focus back to Oregon, but I do have just one question we wanted to hear your take on. So let's chat, you know, a little bit about kind of the. Republican field and how it's shaping up for 2024. Could you kind of give us your, I mean, obviously, I'm sure you're, you know, meeting with a lot of the candidates who obviously I know just had a one-on-one sit down from the sound of it with President Trump. I'm sure that other campaigns have probably reached out to you as well. Can you just kind of give us an overview of the field on the Republican side for 2024? And then your thoughts on who you think is kind of, which I'm assuming you're probably going to say President Trump, and given most of the polls are showing him pretty far ahead of the other candidates, but just kind of curious of your thoughts on the current state of the 2024 Republican primary. Okay, let me do a disclaimer. Because I serve on RNC Presidential Debates Committee, two things I am not allowed to do when is endorse Trump or any other candidate or donate money to Trump or mm-hmm. any candidate but I can do a political analysis for you too. And what I see is that this nomination, Trump is running away with this nomination. And the reason is very, very simple. The grassroots, the Republicans, average voting members, and rank and file Republican voters felt when 2020 election was stolen from him. That's one. And two, ever since, they tried to politically persecute him. And actually, once he got elected, they already started that. If you remember, Russia, 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 and two impeachments, all that happened. So there is a thing, what I call the kind of resentment is building up. And whatever other candidates say and do, won't make any difference. And as a matter of fact, after DOJ indictment, and he did two things, his poll number is keep going up. At the same time, he's pulling in big buck. 
And so I don't think anybody can catch up with him. However, as somebody serve our RNC Standing Roots Committee, I see a movement. I also heard rumors that somebody may want to, not from Trump's side, obviously, somebody from the other side wants to do two things, to beat where a back winner takes off, go back to, you know, award delegates based on the percentage of votes you are getting. Yeah, I saw there was a huge debate about this with California right now, and people were saying, yes. "It's is it going to be winner take all? Or are they going to move back to proportional?" Yeah, I've seen a lot of people on, I guess, the conservative Twitter kind of arguing about that back and forth. So I know that's a fairly contentious rule, potential change, right. and things folks are pushing both ways right now. So Solomon, right. is Oregon propor- Oregon is a proportional state, and we would need oh. to switch to winner take all if we wanted to do that. Oregon is a proportionality state, and okay. uh, uh, that was one of the reasons, if you remember, I said Trump campaign is talking to Chairman Justin Wong and mm. see if Oregon would adopt winner takes all. Now, things like this, I usually have no say. I don't weigh in at a state level because this kind of stuff, I'd rather leave to you know, central committee members and convention goers to decide. But my thinking is, it doesn't matter. Proportionality wins the day or winner takes all wins the day. And Trump will be nominated just because, because he's number in battleground states and super Tuesday states. And it's overwhelming. There is no way you can overcome that. As a matter of fact, all the indictment, all this kind of stuff only get our grassroots motivated. And the kind of, you know, they want to get into DOJ's phase and uh, Joe Biden's phase. And the only thing I see, and I heard rumor is that uh, that could be another move. Another move is change the RNC rule. We call at the RNC level, you call RNC rule. Change the mm-hmm. RNC rule, forbid a candidate who has been a convict and to accept party's nomination. Currently, it's not in the rule. And currently, U.S. Constitution does not even have that, address that. But there are rumors and somebody wants to propose that. So based on this, I don't think it's constitutional to begin with. And on top of it, think about during founding fathers revolution. Founders would be considered by King George as criminals, right? And so based on that, knowing Democrats political lie weaponize and uh, the justice system and uh, go after Trump and politically persecute him. And he should be perceived as our hero and not impose this kind of rule to steal nomination from him. So that would be my argument and I feel very comfortable to make such an argument. Yeah, and then Solomon, I did have one potentially quick question before we before we pivot back to Oregon. Do you think the debate is actually going, so I know there's, there's almost, there's certainly going to be a debate. I think it's in Milwaukee, it's in August. From my understanding, Trump is actually considering skipping the debate 
And the DeSantis super PAC said, if Trump skips the debate, DeSantis will probably skip the debate because it's, I think they quote said it was a two man race, which I think is probably accurate. Basically, if you look at the public polls, but uh, any chance you think Trump actually skips that debate, DeSantis skips the debate. You think they'll both show up. Uh, do you think the debate might be canceled if neither of them show up? Kind of curious of what the RNC is thinking about that. I believe both will show up. And, you know, Trump is a poker player. And if you think about what he did, he said the same thing, not attending RNC-sponsored debate during the day Joe Biden made his announcement to run for re-election. Mm. So, yeah, he's a poker player. Okay. And Alex, yeah. it looks like I just saw from Never Back Down, which I think is the super PAC for DeSantis. He's a clip on Fox News saying that he will be at the debate regardless of whether Trump shows up, which is interesting. Okay. Well, uh, thank you for the, the real-time news update, Reagan. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I had seen that earlier and I went back to double check and it looks like that's what they've said, but I think that is pretty recent. So. And then Solomon did want to quickly just pivot back to Oregon and ask maybe just two more questions since I know we're sure. pretty low on time here. And thank you. Thank you so much for being generous with your time. So I think that a lot of folks from all sides of the party in Oregon, whether you look at the more sort of moderate folks, or if you look at the more sort of conservative grassroots folks, I think if you got everybody in a room, they would say there's quite a bit of dysfunction with the Oregon GOP and that there has been for a number of years, specifically with the state party entity itself. I'm kind of curious from your perspective of, you know, what are, you know, let's say, which obviously, I mean, it's not like you're going to run for chairman. You're obviously an RNC committeeman, which I imagine those are pretty much on the one is national, one's more state-based, both could have voted the RNC, both obviously highly influential roles. But curious of your kind of general thoughts, general analysis on like the party as an infrastructure itself, and then maybe some different kind of improvements or reforms that either you've recommended or would recommend to kind of make it a little bit more of a, uh, let's say, a professionalized vehicle. First of all, I would recommend follow ORP bylaws bylaws there to protect us and so we would not make mistakes and uh, do things which is not within boundary of the bylaws that's what my first recommendation my second recommendation is got to stop infights and we play into other side's hand and republican infights and is not going to elect republicans now I would have no problem if you want to have Republican candidates, conservative challenge, moderate in the primary. But after the primary, and especially election year, you got to get behind Republican nominees. Good example was Mew Bueller, actually during his campaign, he got nominated and during as, as our candidate for governor, and during his campaign, he attacked Trump several times. I'm a huge Trump supporter, but when I am asked at an RNC level and from the White House and also from Republican Governors Association, I defend him every single time. The reason is you got to look at a big picture. And he, yes, I'm not happy with he attacked Trump, but at the same time, he's a much better candidate than Hey, Brown, 
Mm -hmm. So, you know, you got to put this kind of uh, stuff in proper perspective. Another thing is, if you're going to flip Oregon, and you have to still go through the stage, let's say, turn Oregon into purple, and we control one of the house chamber, and uh, then we don't have to deal with the garbage came out of the legislature. And so it, change is not going to happen overnight. And last thing is, you've got to be consistent. Consistent means you can't say, I'm for this, then turn around, you do everything, and just opposite of what you believe in. And as a party, you will lose voters real fast. So that would be my three advice to current situation. Thank you. Our last question before we wrap up, what do you think is Oregon Republicans' best opportunity to pick up a seat in 2024? And that could be statewide office, that could be congressional, that could be legislative. What do you think is our top pickup opportunity in 2024 in Oregon? I think all from House side, knowing the number we just discussed, and uh, those six seats should be targeted, right? And we have an opportunity to flip. And of course, we may not be able to flip uh, Senate, but at least we should be able to pick some seats in the Senate. And uh, the other two seats, I think we could, and six congressional district seat, and the other one is uh, Secretary of State. Those are our opportunity to increase elected Republicans' office holders. That was one of the reasons I want Trump come to Oregon to fight. Well, it's great. And I, I think generally I agree with your analysis. I think that the sixth congressional district was so close last time. You know, it's still a new district. And then that secretary of state seat, just because of all of the scandal, I think voters are going to take a look just like they did with Dennis Richardson in 2016 and look and say, maybe we need some Republican counterbalance. And absolutely, the Oregon House, I think, is, you know, like you said, so few votes separating it that there's a real opportunity for Republicans to make big gains or, you know, in a good year, really flip that chamber to bring that balance. Absolutely. And the other thing I told the president, the newly elected Democrat governor, poll number was in the tank, 44%, three months into her job. This is unheard of, worse than Kay Brown. So when you see this kind of number, you say, you know, we do have an opportunity and we need to work towards our goal and flip Oregon. Well, Solomon, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and coming on the show. The last question is generally the easiest that we ask people, but folks want to learn more about you. If they want to learn more about your work, maybe they want to follow you on Twitter or you know, subscribe to a newsletter or anything like that. Where do folks generally go to find out more info about you or, or follow your work? I have my Twitter account and uh, at Solomon, then I have... Uh... Uh, Facebook, Solomon Daju, and uh, they can follow me on both. Great. Well, Solomon, thank you so much again for your time, and thank you everybody for listening. Uh, please make sure to rate five stars and check us out on YouTube, where we post all the videos. We'll see you in the next one. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.